0: Welcome to TG2Cast. I'm your host, Aaron Blackwelder. Today, we'll be having a conversation with Starr Saxteen, author of Hacking Assessment and Peer Feedback in the Classroom. We will be discussing the ideas of using experts in the classroom. Starr is currently the Director of Humanities for the West Hampstead Union Free School District in New York. Starr is passionate about student learning and assessment reform. She was an ASCD Emerging Leader in 2016 and has been honored by the Dow Jones in 2011 for her work as a newspaper advisor. An avid writer, Star blogs for Education Week Teacher on the blog Work in Progress. She is the mom of Logan, who is now in middle school. Good morning, welcome, Star
1: morning. Glad to be here, Aaron.
0: Yeah, thank you for, for, thank you for joining me. Um, looking forward to this discussion. Um, I, when I read both of your books, um, I was uh, really taken by the, the idea of giving students um, agency over the whole feedback process and creating, um, creating student leadership uh, and, and uh, expert roles within uh, the classroom. And I'm really curious to learn more about that today.
1: I'm glad that you found it useful, uh,
0: so what are expert roles, and what is their purpose?
1: Okay, so I was trying to find ways to get kids to be a little bit more engaged in the feedback process and how to give them more autonomy and how things get done and a lot of kids don't really have the skill set to provide really excellent feedback, so it kind of dawned on me that maybe if I put them in small groups, expert groups, and trained each one of those groups in a particular skill set, instead of trying to get them to be able to give excellent feedback on everything, that I could train kids up, and they could be responsible for those particular skills throughout the years and throughout the year in a lot of different settings. So essentially what an expert group is, is four to five students who are trained in one particular area. If we're talking about essay writing, for example, there might be a group who is responsible for looking solely at introductory paragraphs and they have to look for building Context, writing a good thesis statement, um, flow and interest in in terms of engaging the reader. Um, If another group is involved with organization, they're looking for something totally different. They're looking to see what the thesis statement is. And then if the rest of the essay follows suit in a good order, that makes sense. Um, So, I mean, basically, they're just groups that are trained in a particular area that we're working on
0: how do you go about training students and selecting students in that process?
1: So basically the way that it works is the selection. Usually if there's a group of four or five, depending on, or three, depending on how big your class is, I like to take one higher level student who already really understands the skill very well. Once okay. one or two students that are sort of in the middle and then one who struggles with that particular skill. Okay. And I start by providing each group with a number of different resources that they could parse through that all address the skill in different ways. Sometimes they're short videos, sometimes they're different articles that provide examples. All of the information is differentiated so they could choose which resource they want to do to really understand the, the skill. And then I work with each group Um, on the first few that they do in class. So when we share the essays as a group, I would sit down in the group and kind of listen to their conversations. And then I'm also there to sort of put out fires if they don't know the best feedback to give. But I like for them to be able to sort of try to try to get through it on their own without me stepping in.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um, what role do students play in the process of selecting the uh, selecting the roles?
1: Um, The first go-round, I pretty much always picked which group they were going to go in, and then they could choose as the year went on whether or not they felt like they could benefit from being in a different group, learning a different skill, and it became a little more fluid throughout the year. Um, But most of the time, kids spend time in a group until either a they decided that they were ready to learn a new skill or B I mm-hmm. decided that you know it might be beneficial to their own writing to kind of be around different people in a group.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And um, when do you introduce these into your classroom? Um, how soon?
1: In the um, school year Usually with the second paper, Um, The first one I like to provide, like I like to model the behavior first. I like to make sure that there's a culture set up where every kid in the space understands that they are experts at something and that their classmates have something important to offer so that I'm not the only person they're seeking out for help. Um, And that takes a little bit of culture building in the classroom before you could kind of set up these groups. Plus, I need to model what good feed good specific feedback looks like before I could expect them to be able to provide good specific feedback
0: yeah I'm just doing my my, we're just finishing up our second essay in my class and that's when I was going to introduce them to I didn't know when you did that and that's I was really curious about that because that's when I was going to start uh, introducing that to my students and building their roles um now, why, why advocate for the expert, expert roles? What makes these roles so significant for students to take on these challenges?
1: Um, I think so, so much of school and the students I was working with specifically were 11th and 12th graders. And we kind of almost train them to think that they need us a lot of the time to do stuff that they could actually do on their own. And since a lot of my kids were going directly to college after they finished my class, the autonomy was really, really important. I needed them to see that they were capable of doing it on their own. And if they couldn't, that they had peers that were equally as talented and capable of giving the help because let's face it when they go to college and they go to let's say a a writing lab it's not professors that are in a writing lab it's usually other students so they really have to get used to the idea that their peers you know have something to offer and I think the more they worked with each other it was mutually beneficial because it not only helped them grow, but it helped the person who was helping them grow.
0: Yeah, I, I, I tell my kids um, that uh, I'm not only going to be here for the rest of the year. After that, you've got you to rely on other people. <laughs> um, that's, that's important, in not only in college, but also in career and throughout life, is being able to ask advice. How might uh, a primary or middle school teacher implement expert roles? Because I, I, I know you teach uh, high school and upper level high school, um, but how might the um, how might middle school and primary teachers use these?
1: I think that it's actually, I mean, it's just a matter of which skill sets you want to use. I don't think it necessarily has to be with writing. Um, you could start by. For example, I work right now in, in my new role as a leader of the human, um, a lead learner in the humanities department. I work with a lot of the middle school teachers and getting to know, like, let's say a Spanish teacher in the middle school, if they wanted to do expert groups, perhaps a student who is very knowledgeable in how to conjugate specific kinds of verbs, like you could mm-hmm. almost break the class up into different kinds of regular or irregular verbs and have them be an expert group for how to write, you know, how to conjugate verbs or how to create sentence structures. So, I mean, there are, there are definitely more simplistic expert roles. I mean, just think about the standards that you're teaching and then the specific skill sets that go into those standards. And then breaking kids up into areas around the specific age appropriate standards that you're working with.
0: So non-ELA teachers could use these as well.
1: Of course. I mean, I think it aligns really nicely with science, actually. I mean, think about the whole lab process, the whole scientific method. Yeah. uh, People responsible for different parts of writing up a lab um, or a research paper, if you're going to do it that way. And that really crosses, you know, every discipline or in a social studies class. If you have people who are really good at analyzing documents Um, and then writing about the document. So I I think, and the same goes for math as well, multi-step equations. That's a great opportunity to make an expert group.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, um, how do you um, handle students doing this? I mean, what is the process in your class uh, before you actually will take the work?
1: So they've seen the models. I think we explicitly sort of spend some time talking about what good feedback looks like and how they know and what kind of feedback they've received, what works best for them. And then I'll break them up into groups. I usually send out an email and in that email, it tells them what group they're in. It provides them with the resources I give them a day in class to get familiarized with the resources I provided them with. Um, And then I kind of move through each group and kind of do mini lessons with each one of the groups. And there's usually four or five groups. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, spending about five to seven minutes with each group in a period And then getting them started with sharing each other's. And then we'll do a workshop probably for about two or three days where the groups will then get electronic copies through Google Docs of the whole class's work. And then as a small group, they'll only look at the body of work for, you know, for the whole class around those specific areas. So I'll have my group of four students who are responsible for transitions sitting around they have 30 of their classmates that they're going to be providing feedback on they either break up the essays into you know I'll take you know whatever letter letters of the alphabet or I'm going to take these group and then they kind of problem solve together so they'll read through an essay if they're if they have a question about something, they have the dialogue. And then if, it, if they can't figure it on, out on their own, I would be called into the mix as well to ensure that every kid gets the kind of feedback that he or she needs.
0: Okay. And do you make sure that kids, uh, do they, like before the, the work receive, is received by you, do you expect them to, um, to go through this process, then make um, revisions to it and yeah. then bring it to you?
1: Um, the revisions are a huge part of every piece that students turn in. So um, they're starting as a first draft, sharing these, sharing these, and there there are different things. So the, the first go around, the group might be asking clarifying questions around the specific expert um, area they're working in. And then they might talk about how effective it is the first or, you know, the second or third time around once the revisions had been made, but it, yeah. it's, The onus of the person whose paper they're working on to really articulate, um, you know, whether or not the feedback is, is helping them improve moving forward in the process. So since they're using Google docs, they'll see the name of the person who gave them the feedback, and then they could also have one-on-one conversations with each other once that's been provided.
0: Right. Okay. I like that. Um, now I want to step back a little bit. I, I got a thought. Um, I use Google Classroom quite a bit, and um, I, I heard you mention that you could uh, that you would assign them via email. Um, you could easily also set it up in Google Classroom to be an assignment for each kid, and then attach the um, the handouts via that as well. And it makes it a little bit easier, and they don't have to sort through their email. And I know my students get tons and tons of email from our district. Um, just a thought on that one too. So,
1: no, yeah, I think that um, sounds great. I mean, back when I was doing it, you have to imagine that first of all, not a lot of my colleagues, unfortunately, were using the resources we had as a school.
0: Yeah.
1: So I, I was the only teacher really obsessively sending them emails. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, I was you just sitting down with some it. students
0: the other day and, um, I had them looking through emails to find something that I sent them, and oh my gosh, the amount of stuff that they get just from Google Classroom, from our administration, from other teachers' Google Classroom—it's just it's spam galore. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the the whole uh, email as much as possible now. What are um, what are the students' responses to expert roles, um, and do they have a lasting effect? I know you kind of talked about them a little bit more, but I also know that in your books, you quote students, especially in, the, in your feedback book. Um, what are the lasting impacts beyond high school that you know about with students?
1: Um, I've always gotten a lot of really positive feedback from my students about it. I mean... A little reticent at first, and I'm not going to lie, there's definitely going to be a couple of students in the class who don't give as good feedback as other mm-hmm. kids, and the students learn very quickly um, the quote-unquote right people to go to, and those people can sometimes get a little overburdened. I think that's part of the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um when they, when they recognize, you know, which, which folks are the really strong ones to go to and then, you know, trying to work with that person so that the experience doesn't become overwhelming or negative for them. But I I wasn't just doing it in my ELA classes. I was doing it um, something similar with my journalism classes where the editor of a particular section was essentially the expert group leader and was responsible for providing feedback to the reporters who are writing for that section. Right. And I, I know for a fact that the students who go to college after participating in that experience are just more self-starters. They feel more confident as learners to be able to do things on their own. Um, and I, my students have always been very prepared for college. That's, that's usually the feedback that I get.
0: Now, oh, one of the things that I really liked in your, um, your, uh, f- your peer feedback book is that you had student voice in there. Um, is there a specific student or was there a specific voice that really um, inspired you to continue using or promoting the, uh, the, the experts?
1: I think every time I tried to do it, um, I tried to take their voices and make the adjustments they suggested. And every class was different. Um, some smaller groups, because like one year in my AP class, I only had 20 kids and in a class of 20, you really have a lot more flexibility with how you do things, Mm -hmm. um, versus a class of 34 where, you know, you have multiple groups doing the same skill sometimes, um, which you also have, dy- you know, group dynamic challenges that could right. come into play in a bigger class size. Where a smaller one, the community of learners is definitely a little bit more tight knit. So their voices always impacted my choices because if if I didn't listen to them, that could really erode the trust in a space. Not to mention the fact that. If the wrong combination of kids are together, it could make the entire learning space not a really productive one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share on uh, assigning experts to students? Um,
1: I think that we as adult learners have to be very comfortable trusting this responsibility with our kids And really having the faith when we sort of release control that they're capable of doing it because they take our cues from us. Mm -hmm. So the same way if one of our own personal children like falls down and, you know, like that second or two before they start to cry because they don't know if they're hurt or not like our reaction to them falling down often influences their reaction to what's going to happen. I think the same thing is true when we're releasing control to our students. If we really have faith in their ability to do the things we're asking them to do when we provide them the necessary supports and scaffolds and differentiate things well, and then, you know, throughout the process make the necessary adjustments, I believe that they They feel that comfort and trust and faith and confidence that we are putting into their hands. And I I think that they rise to the occasion. All students rise to the occasion.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, the more agency we give them and the more responsibility we give them, the more empowered they are to take on their own lives. And that's ultimately, isn't that what we want to do? Yep. Well, Star, thank you so much for spending your morning with me. And um, I so appreciate your thoughts on um, on how to use experts in the classroom. And um,
1: Welcome. Have a great day, Aaron.
0: You too. And that concludes this episode of TG2Cast. If you'd like more information, check us out on our website at teachersgoinggradeless.com or our Facebook group. You can also follow us on Twitter at TG2 chat. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you get future installments. Thanks for listening.